0: paragraphs that I really don't have to say a whole lot <laughs> You know, it's, it's written very straightforward, um, you know, in, in, in clear language, clear enough language, I think, that um, I think most of us really got the drift um, <laughs> as we went through the passages. And we didn't say, okay, I'm lost here too much. Um, so thank the Lord that um, those divines of hundreds of years ago Uh, kept you and I, uh, you know, ordinary folks in mind when they wrote up these very deep thoughts in language that we can understand. And I think that that is one of the hallmarks, actually, of the Reformation. It was the intent that not just a few select elite theologians and pastors uh, would be able to read the Bible and have their own, uh, you know, conversation about it, but that they were merely messengers to give that wonderful message to the rest of the church so that you would have an educated church and not just a leadership um, at the time and our time as well. So briefly, um, let's take a quick look at uh, the first paragraph, uh, the opening paragraph that we have here before us. Um, Two things are basically explained here. Um it presupposes that we live in the fallen world, the post-fall world. We live in a world that is no longer that in which Adam and Eve lived before the fall, their, their fall in sin, but post-fall. And that is the same condition that always will be until Jesus comes again. And so given that predicament, we are now no longer um, uh, able... To have a relationship with God, the way they did, they didn't need the Bible. I would say they had a understanding of God that was not marred, that was not limited by sin. It's not to say that they were in a condition of perfection already, but that state of perfection in consummation would be reached. As my seminary professors taught us, that would be reached eventually, when God's you know would would perfect them into everlasting perfection. But sin was no factor then, but now it is. And so, how do we know God anymore? Well, it makes it plain that all people here, all around the world, are by Scripture's instruction. In the book of Romans uh, we cannot be uh, excusing ourselves as it were for not knowing God as the creator of the world so Calvin would use the uh, the illustration of the books like the book of creation and the book of Scripture so when we have the book we read about we see in the universe that God made that um, there is a creator and that God is that creator God holds us accountable to that knowledge. Um, But it's just not enough. We will not look at the sunsets long enough or Pikes Peak Mountain in the beautiful morning glow um, that we see from our side uh, often when we uh, begin the day. uh, We see that glory of God on display, but it will not be enough. We need, Calvin also said, we need spectacles we need glasses now that help us to see clearly that not only did God make that beautiful creation, but we need to know God as the one through whom we are restored into fellowship with this God because we are sinners. We are rebels and we have alienated ourselves from him by our sin and disobedience. So that then heightens the... The uh, divine's appreciation of the scriptures, because without the scriptures, we could never know God in a saving manner. The stars don't tell us that I'm a sinner. The stars don't tell us that God has made provision for my sins through the cross or through some other way, if that were, you know, possible. Um, we know it isn't. But um, that's why the Bible is the book that we open in which we have God's will revealed to us and um, the benefits of that revelation is that it has been um, written down for us and you could say that's for our convenience um, but uh, specifically it is for the preservation it says and afterwards for the better present preserving and propagating of the truth so the revelation of God's will that was accomplished at sundry times and in diverse manners. God met Abram, didn't he? Just right then and there. They had a conversation. Or he met Abram at the burning bush. Uh, people had visions and dreams and so forth. God manifested himself in very uh, yeah, unusual, extraordinary ways. But that manner of revealing himself, it says, has ceased because we no longer need that, because that was all pointing forward to the Word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom God's will is definitively, uh, fully revealed. One thing I would say yet is, when we say that the Bible is God's Word, and it is, I have no reservations about that, we should also remember that the will of God is fully revealed to us, as we need it. Because the mind of God, I imagine, I speak openly and frankly, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could make a case that says that the mind of God is so vast and great and glorious and majestic that you shouldn't think that you have to just sort of put it in your pocket You know, when you have the Bible in front of you. Uh, G- God's power and presence goes probably well beyond that, but we have enough And this is all we need. And we don't need any revelations. We don't have prophetic visions and and, and things that people tell us that God told them to say this to you or do that uh, tomorrow. Uh, We have in God's word the finished revelation. And that is particularly uh, incarnate in the Son of God in the flesh. So uh, we have the Bible. Thank the Lord in our language and we have the Bible not only to uh, keep that word of God, but then also to take the word of God to bring it to others. You know what, 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 How would it work if, if we had, um, uh, like, um, what do you call it, uh, oral tradition? Um, there are some tribes, right, in the world that uh, may not have their uh, language written down already, uh, or not yet. But um, you will have to t- talk to their tribal leaders, and they said, "Well, uh, my great great grandfather, you know, believed this or did that, and then uh, you know, this is our tradition. Um, you know, for one thing, when you have trans uh, transmission of trans uh, tradition from one generation, I'm sure something gets lost there as well. Uh, so we, we have the written word of God; it is unchanging." Um, we don't have the original manuscripts, of course, but we have, by God's superintendence, the very Word of God in our hands because He does not make mistakes Amen. when He guided those who penned down the words and others then translated it and so forth so that we can read it in our own language. We have the Word of God. Don't have doubts about that. Um, but uh, that is the, the beauty. And then also there is another benefit, and that is... It gives stability to the church um, because the word the church then has an appeal an objective appeal if something happens in society something happens inside the church then we can say well the Word of God teaches us the following and not just that that becomes you know, somebody's opinion or the church's opinion or a sinners' opinion and so forth so um, and then finally Uh, It is also then very important that we have God's Word because it becomes the defense against the world, against Satan, it mentions, and our own weakness. So the Word is divine, infallible, inspired Word of God, and that is the Word that comes to us in an authoritative manner, and it judges us. We do not judge it, but the Word always judges us. And by judging, I don't mean so much uh, the sense of final judgment or anything, but it examines us. So that our challenge is, how is my thinking, how is my life, in alignment with his word, with his will that he has graciously revealed to us. Okay, number one. Number uh, six. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own uh, glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture, or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. Um, so we have in the Bible the whole whole counsel of God. We don't believe in progressive revelation, as I kind of indicated already. You um, know, the, the, there's the finished revelation; it's the finished canon, um, and, uh, and and so we don't add things to that. Uh, it makes that clear. Um, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. It is a finished revelation. Um, but as we believe that the Bible is what they called uh, perspicuous, you can see through it enough. It is the clarity of Scripture that we believe is inherent to God's Word. Um, that doesn't mean that uh, when we go to certain passages just immediately we understand it especially in the book of Revelation, as we will see (laughs) in the book of Daniel or other passages. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't mean that we have a full comprehensive access to the the full body of truth that God presents to us in his word. We need, as it says then, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. So we have the Bible. It's sufficient in all our needs and guidance and directions, but outside the Holy Spirit... um, that would still be a not a closed book, but the purpose of Revelation is a response. That God doesn't just throw out the Bible and, well, you read it and you don't read it, and it's up to you. But his will is given to uh, the world, to humanity, so that they know who he is and how they can get back to him. Back to him. Uh, we can be reconciled with him. So the word demands a response. And for us to then understand that uh, connecting of the dots, if you will, requires the illumination of the Holy Spirit. But it is an illumination that I would say is different from the illumination or inspiration that Paul and Peter and all the other apostles, of course, received, because that was for their time, and that inspiration has ceased. So God is gracious in giving us His Word it is final, nothing uh, ought to be added, needs to be added. Um, and, uh, and with the illumination of the Holy Spirit, it gives us then, what it says, the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in his word. Um, when things are not uh, explicitly stated, for example, the doctrine of the Trinity, um, you know, that's always kind of a prime example. Uh, people will say, well, uh, oh, I don't see the word Trinity uh, in, the, you know, in the Bible, so it must not be there. Excuse me. Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, the fact that the word Trinity isn't there doesn't mean it's, there. it's not there. Um, and so by um, good and necessary consequence, that's a term that I learned when I came to this country uh, in, in, in biblical studies and theological studies. Um, I had never in the Dutch equivalent. I don't even know if there is a Dutch equivalent, but um, I, I always like that phrase, uh, good and necessary consequence, uh, because it's a helpful phrase. And that is to say, by good and necessary consequence, this must be so. So it is by good and necessary consequence that the doctrine of the Trinity must be so. Because if you uh, say, yeah, it's not in the Bible. Well, you have not disproven the, the Trinity. And the risk that you're at for not believing in the Trinity, which I would say is a saving doctrine, you know, you can't be a Christian, you can't be born again if you do not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. That God is God in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But we, we confess that boldly, without reservation, um, by good and necessary consequence. As we glean the passages from God's word, we compare scripture with scripture, and we come to the conclusion that the mind of the church has been rather unanimous on that. Ever since the early church began to dig into these things that had to be dug into, these questions of who is Christ, uh, divinity, humanity, how does that work together, and so forth, um, that is uh, what the church has always taught and so, if you deal with uh, Christians who don't believe in the Trinity, um, well, I'd say stay in touch with them, uh, be friendly, uh, be kind, um, you know. But but they have homework to do uh, because there is a real issue there. Um, and then uh, the final point is that there are issues that the Bible um, is not uh, speaking descriptively uh in terms of explicit teaching or by good and necessary consequence. So here we I think get into the realm of Christian liberty. Um, we as reformed people think rightly you know, biblical arguments always be biblical uh, even if you don't have a text but by good and necessary consequence or by as it says uh, the light of nature when we deal with such things that are non essentials. We choose to worship today in this place. We choose to worship today at this hour. Uh, we choose to have two services. Um, you could have three services as. Many Reformed churches, by the way, in the 1600s, 1700s, did in Europe. I mean, if you think that this is a lot, (laughs) uh, (laughs) these people never went home, it seems like. Um, Those are all non-essentials. You can't say, well, if you don't come to church for the third time, we're going to put you on the discipline, because you have violated uh, God's law, God's word. Uh, That is uh, by the light of nature, and it says... The rules of the word, the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. So, as I practiced this yesterday, I had the board here behind me. I thought of um, the word in its pres- prescriptive sense and action uh, that we are that we are called to be obedient biblically. So, if I say. We must be biblical Christians we need to obey God's Word where God's Word is not asking us to understand it that way when do we meet on Sundays and where then you still have the question how do we uh, do these things that are non-essentials in a style in a manner that is edifying that is biblical Um, So you have that distinction. The things that are clearly prescribed in scripture or deduced by good and necessary consequence on the one hand and then those things that are left to the light of nature. We can be meeting in a parking lot. Um, we um, We have Christians. This is maybe a little bit where you have a disagreement with me. But I've thought about fellow believers around the world who live in places like Islamic countries. Uh, you just don't have the freedom for one, um, for any day. But um, here you find that Christians, who are natives of that country, uh, meet uh, on Fridays or Saturdays. Um, I'm, I'm leaning a little bit here on, on, on generosity. Um, some of Paul's words about you know not putting too much stock in days and celebrations and rituals and religious uh, ceremonies, Um, I'm I'm wondering if that is not a fair uh, deduction, a good and necessary consequence maybe, to say uh, what God does require is the principle. You get together. You assemble together around the word and the sacrament to be obedient to the Lord of the church. Um, Then finally, the infallible rule of scripture. Um, I think this is a direct response to the Roman Catholic Church. Um, the Synod of Dort already, some uh, 1640s, 40s, uh, so sort of 20 years earlier or so, um, uh, you know, had kind of similar discussions. And this is just simply to say then that um, the Bible is its own authority. I said it a moment ago, the, the Bible judges me. I don't stand as a judge over it. I don't say, okay, now I... Or we, the church, we, the synod of this denomination, declare that the Bible is the word of God. (laughs) That is just preposterous. Uh, The Bible is its own authority. Amen. Pure and simple. And so um, I think that's the main idea that they were uh, trying to convey here. And then finally, one more thing. Um, and this is, a, a, I would say, a challenge uh, to churches today, um, uh, that, the, that there is only one sense, it says here, right? The full sense of scripture, which is not manifold, but one. Um, it's one thing to say that you could come up with a topic that uh, is very difficult uh, and, uh, and, and, and really challenging, and that you are just digging into God's Word and you, and you compare Scripture with Scripture, and you might uh, say, Well, um, you know, will God hold me accountable for believing in single or double predestination? I'm, I'm not making light of things here, I'm not trying to be jokey here. Uh, but in the times that was being debated and discussed, whether uh, God has a double predestination. He, he predestines to eternal damnation and he predestines to salvation um, that uh, some uh, in the Synod of Dort, uh, that was the majority view, by the way, the dual, uh, but a man by the name of Piscator, <laughs> whose uh, works I read and translate a little bit, um, he took exception to that and he said there's a single predestination. Uh, that is that type of topic. Um, but when it comes, for example, to women in office, right? I think that's what most of us could think about pretty quickly. Uh, then we have had denominations that said, at the end of decades of discussion, uh, we don't know. No, we think that the Bible can be interpreted to say this meaning, and it can be interpreted to give that meaning. If you follow the, read, the words of, of, this, of the confession here, and I think that is true. Um, God, in his nature, is not double-minded. Uh, he is not confused. Uh, he, he, he gives his word. Uh, do we have a full or understanding of the word in all of its ramifications and what have you? That is probably not so. But when it comes to specific questions like this, you at least have to say, well, this is what the Word of God teaches. I mean, when you take the, the text at face value, but we, don't, we, but we don't believe that anymore. Like you see in the mainline uh, liberal churches, where they will say, yes, Paul said that homosexuality is unbiblical. It is a sin. But we think Paul was wrong. And so we think that because of God's love or because of other reasons then uh, it ought to be justified and accepted because of the time in which we now live. Um, that is not in accordance with the spirit and the letter of the confession. Uh, the confession teaches that it is one meaning that we need to discover, but it's not two. Yeah. That's where I want to leave it. We have some little business to do yet. Brother, do you have a comment or a question? or any other other person? No, all I was going to say is that the confession is not the